talking about today apply to families but also to individuals. So, and marriages and your relationships with others. So that's a very important part of our life here on this earth as we follow Jesus Christ. Before we do open the word, let's have a word of prayer and talk to our Heavenly Father today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity we have to uh, worship you this morning. And Lord, I pray that you would allow our hearts to be ready to receive what you want to share with us today. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing around the world and how so many people are coming to know you. And we pray that that would be true here at Riverview Church as well, that people would come to know you, follow you faithfully, and grow in their walk with you. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when I talk about rock-solid families, an important component of that reality is being a family that forgives. And we talk a lot about love here and agape love and what that means, this unconditional love that God desires for us to have in our families, in our marriages with one another. But along with that is this quality of forgiveness. The more I do counseling with couples and families over the years, the more I realize how important forgiveness is. And I want to look at the life of a man by the name of Joseph, a very familiar person in the Old Testament who had some incredible things happen to him, who was hurt by his family, who lived in a dysfunctional family, and yet he was still able to forgive. The bottom line is this. Forgiveness is a powerful quality for building strong families and becomes an essential component in the life of a true follower of Jesus Christ. When you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have no option but to be a forgiver. You must forgive, the Bible says. If you understand what Jesus Christ did for you on the cross, then you must be a forgiver. You have no other option. You cannot say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I refuse to forgive these people. That's not an option, my friends. So my challenge would be that we would be people who long to forgive, who can't wait to forgive, because we understand this awesome forgiveness that's been given to us today by Jesus Christ. Like you turn your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 37, as we open up the Word of God. Powerful. Every story in the Bible is given to us for a reason. And I know this is a familiar story, but I want you to look at it as if you're looking at it for the first time. All right? Now, Jacob, as you know, was given all the blessings that were given to Abraham, then to Isaac, then those blessings were given to Jacob. He would begin to build the nation of Israel with his 12 sons. 12 sons. That would become the 12 tribes of Israel. Let me uh, begin at verse uh, 1 of chapter 37. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, a young lad, right, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with his sons of Billah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report about them to their father. Now, Israel, here's the dysfunction, right? Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. Now, Now, if you're a parent today, you know that you can't do that. That's common sense. You can't love one child more than another and expect things to go smoothly in the family. Jacob did. He loved Joseph more than all the others because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. Not only did he obviously love Joseph more, but he gave him a constant reminder of the fact that I love you more than any of the other brothers. 
He gave him this beautiful coat of many colors. But when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. See, when you have that kind of favoritism in a family, when that that kind of common sense is broken, when you don't love your kids the same, then dysfunction begins to happen. And in this family, there was hatred, not only towards Joseph, but I'm sure anger towards the father for doing this, for loving Joseph more than all the others. And here's one thing I want us to remember as we look at the life of Joseph is this. Realize that in every hurt and trial, God is working out his greater purpose. See, in the family of Jacob with his 12 sons, there was hatred, there was anger towards Joseph. And what made it worse, if we look at the passage, is Joseph had these dreams. Let's look at verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. Now the brothers probably thought, man, if you were working in the field with us, that must have been a dream. I mean, because obviously you're favored above everybody. You have a better life than we do. Mine stood up, right. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, behold, I've dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in his mind. See, in every family there's going to be hurts and trials. In every marriage there's going to be hurts and trials. In every relationship There will be disappointment and hurts and trials. Here is the reality that we need to know. And we see it most powerfully in the life of Joseph. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible and probably one of yours. That in every hurt and trial, God is at work in our lives. We need to understand that. And sometimes we forget that God is still in control. God is still working out his plan. God is still carving off all the rough edges of my life through the hurts and the trials that we have. If we serve a God who knows the hairs on our head, if we serve a God who knows when a sparrow falls to the ground, we must believe that our God is intimately involved in the details of our lives, that he is sovereignly working out his growth plan in our lives, that we all are under construction. Do you believe that today? That you are under construction by God. He's working in your life through the circumstances of your life. And so often, I know it's a struggle for me. God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen? Why is this problem happening, whether it's in my marriage or my kids, my family, in my life? Maybe something happening with me personally, physically. Why are you allowing this to happen? But here is the doctorate level, Trinity Seminary, doctorate level approach to Christianity. Not an elementary school level, doctorate level. Hey, God, in the midst of this trial, you are working in my life. You are growing me up. You are that concerned about me, not only to save me, but to grow me to be more like Jesus Christ. Every day, 
were to wake up saying, God, what are you going to teach me today? What are you going to change in my life today? God is never stopping to work in your life. See, the problem was Israel, who's also Jacob, sometimes referred to as Israel in the Bible, loved Joseph more than any of the other sons because he was the son of his old age. But when his brothers saw that their father loved them, they hated Joseph. It was a dysfunctional family. And, and here's the reality, my friends. A lack of common sense can destroy families. We read that story and we think, how could Jacob do that? How could he love one son, obviously so much more than the others? How could he give Joseph this constant reminder of his greater love for Joseph than for the other 11 brothers? That's exactly what he did. And he caused problems in his family. And those problems were not dealt with properly. See, God is at work. Here's the timeline of what happened to to Joseph. He was sold into slavery. You probably remember the story, right? We find in the book of Genesis, the brothers became so jealous of Joseph, they decided to kill him. But as they're implementing the plan to kill them, to kill, to kill Joseph, they see Ishmaelites heading to Egypt. And Judah says to his brothers, hey, let's make a little money out of this deal. We can sell our brother into slavery. We'll never see him again. We'll take his coat of many colors. We'll put animal blood on it and tell Jacob, our father, that, Israel, that uh, Joseph was torn up by a wild animal. And that's exactly what he did. He was a slave in Egypt for 10 years. When you read the word of God, if you flip over a few uh, chapters, you get to see that Joseph is sold into slavery and then he's sold into the household of Potiphar. It says this in chapter 39, verse 1. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard in Egyptian, had brought, bought him from the Ishmaelites and brought him down there to Egypt. But here's the good news. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. Here's the good news. Even though things are getting worse for Joseph, and I'm sure Joseph began to wonder, God, what were those dreams all about? I believe Joseph may have lacked a bit of discretion in sharing the dreams with his brothers, right? Not the wisest thing to do. But these obviously were powerful dreams that he wondered what the meaning was behind them. But as he sold into slavery, his brothers turn against him in hatred. He's bought by the captain of an army uh, official in the, the army of Pharaoh, He's wondering, God, what is happening with my life? What are your plans for my life? And maybe you've had times of perplexity like that as well. Joseph must have. He's in slavery in Egypt for 10 years. And then he's falsely accused. You probably all remember the story. It's right here in the word of God. Uh, Joseph was a successful slave in the household of Potiphar. The problem was this. Potiphar's wife was attracted to Joseph. And on numerous occasions, tried to seduce Joseph. And Joseph would say no every time. One time they were in the house alone. Potiphar's wife tried again. He ran out of the house, but she was able to grab his coat. And out of anger for being rejected, she accused him of trying to rape her. Now, normally in Egyptian culture, that would be a death sentence for Joseph. So most scholars believe that Potiphar probably realized that Joseph was innocent. Because he only sent him to prison. But things are getting worse for Joseph. His family turns against him. His brothers turn against him. Sell him into slavery. He's a successful slave in the household of Potiphar. 
He's then falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and goes to prison. He's in prison anywhere from, and scholars vary about this, three to five years for something he did not do. And I'm sure you remember the story that while he's in prison, the former cupbearer and the former baker for the Pharaoh were in prison with him as well. Pharaoh was angry with the cupbearer and the baker and had thrown him in prison. And while they were in prison, they had dreams as well. And in chapter 40, we read about how Joseph interprets the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker. The cupbearer comes to him and shares the dreams with Joseph. And Joseph says, your dreams mean this. Cupbearer, in three days, you'll be restored to be the cupbearer of the Pharaoh. And he said to the cupbearer, remember me when you get to Pharaoh. Remember me when Pharaoh restores you because I'm in prison under false accusations. I shouldn't be here. Remember me. Well, the baker, when he heard that interpretation, came to to Joseph as well and said, interpret my dream. And when the baker shares the dream with Joseph, Joseph says this, your dream means this. In three days, Pharaoh will have you executed and the birds will be eating your flesh. Three days later, that's exactly what happened. The cupbearer is restored to Pharaoh but does not remember Joseph. And he would be in prison another two years even after interpreting these dreams. Now you need to remember, a, a, a prison in Egypt was not a pretty place. This was a dirty, rotten, stinky, smelly prison. And things keep getting worse for Joseph. He must have thought, I am forgotten here. I'll never leave this Egyptian prison. And, and what makes it worse, I'm guilty. I found guilty of things I did not do. I'm here for things I did not commit. Now, a lesser person might have turned against God. A lesser person might have been angry and bitter, but that's not the case. That's not the case with Joseph in prison. The Bible says that the Lord was with Joseph in prison. And the head of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners. God was blessing him, even in prison. Joseph didn't hold on to bitterness. He didn't hold on to hatred. He had every reason to. But he didn't. And he becomes a hero of the faith because he chooses to forgive. Now, as you know the story, you know well. Pharaoh had a dream. Chapter 41, if you turn there in Genesis, he shares his dream with Joseph. Finally, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. He says, Pharaoh, wait a minute. There was a guy in prison when I was there that interpreted my dreams correctly. And Pharaoh said, bring him to me. I want him standing before me. And the most powerful man on earth had this slave in front of him who was a prisoner in an Egyptian prison, and he shared his dream with Joseph. And Joseph made it clear that it was God who would help him interpret that dream. The interpretation of the dream was this. Pharaoh, for seven years, there will be seven years of plenty in Egypt, followed up by seven years of famine. Your job, O Pharaoh, will be to store up enough food in those seven years of plenty to make it through the seven years of poverty. Turn your Bibles to Genesis 41, verse 37. God is working out his plan. Joseph had no idea this would be how it would end up. He had no idea. He could have become bitter. He could have become unforgiving. 
But he still faithfully served the Lord, and we know that because the Lord was still with him. Verse 37 of chapter 41 in Genesis, the proposal to do what Joseph said, store up enough food for seven years to make it through the seven years of poverty, the proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the spirit of God? Don't you love that? Can we find someone like this in whom is the spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house and all the people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Powerful stuff. Joseph had the blessing of seeing in his own lifetime how God had worked out all the pain and all the suffering for something so wonderful as this. Joseph would become the vice pharaoh of Egypt, the Mike Pence of Egypt, if you will. Vice pharaoh. He's going to run the whole country. Now, why does God put this story in the Bible for us? Why is this such a powerful story? Because it's a reminder to us that God is working out his plan. See, he's in prison for three to five years. At age 30, he becomes second in command in all of Egypt. And something even more amazing is going to happen at the age of 37, maybe even older, 38. So seven years, eight years later, he is working out his plan. The famine is complete, and he's stored up all this food for the people of Egypt to survive through the seven years of poverty. And what happens? His brothers, who are also affected by this famine in the land of Israel, say, hey, we got to go down to Egypt. There's a young man down there who has control of all this food. We will buy food from the Egyptians. And they stand before Joseph in Egypt. And right away, Joseph recognizes his brothers that had hated him, had sold him into slavery. They had planned to kill him. But selling him into slavery caused him years of pain and hardship, years away from his mother and his father. The hatred could have ruined Joseph and his life, but it didn't. See, that trip that he took from Israel down to Egypt was for the saving of many lives. And he began to realize how God was at work. He may not have realized that when he was sold into slavery. He may not have realized that when he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife and thrown into prison. He may not have realized it when he thought he was forgotten in prison. But as he became second in command, he realized how awesome God's plan truly was that God was saving many lives. And I, I think about Joseph's life, it, it's a roller coaster, isn't it? It's a life of ups and downs. He experiences the love of his father, this coat of many colors, which must have been a source of joy for him. But then he also experiences the dysfunction of the family and the hatred of the other brothers toward him. He has these amazing dreams of what God is going to do in his life, but then he's sold into slavery out of anger that his brothers had toward him. In slavery, he gains Potiphar's trust and is successful, the Bible says, in, in the household of Potiphar. 
but then he's falsely accused and thrown into prison. See, things just keep getting worse in the life of Joseph. And I don't know about you, but if it were me, I'd be tempted to think, am I wasting my time following God? Does God really know what's going on in my life? Does God really understand the pain and the hurt I'm feeling? I want to tell you, my friends, this story is here as a powerful reminder for you and for me. I don't know who's hurt you in the past. I don't know who's hurting you now. Only you know that. But here's the challenge for us as followers of God. Do you trust God to believe that he's working out his plan, that he's growing us up? So the reality is this. Trials and hurts will come to every person, every family. It's part of life. We live in a sinful world that's in rebellion against God. It will come to every family, every person. I was reminded of this recently. It was Mother's Day and... and uh, uh, coming up, and I was thinking about getting my wife a gift for Mother's Day. She's been the mother of my six children. And I thought, I got to get her a nice gift. And a couple weeks before Mother's Day, I was looking at getting an electric bike. I was thinking, I had an old bike. I'd, I'd had it for 30 years. I'm like, you know, I want to get a, a new bike. But I'd seen these electric bikes, and I'm looking at them. And um, I was looking at a normal bike at the time when my wife came by. And she said, Mel, a normal bike is nice, but maybe we should think about getting an electric bike. So many hills around here. Maybe we should get an electric bike. And I thought to myself, I've got the perfect Mother's Day gift. I'm going to get my wife an electric bike. So I bought the bike, all secretive, came to the house, and I gave it to her on Mother's Day. And when she opened up the box, she said, an electric bike? What made you think I wanted an electric bike? What made you think that? She acted like I'd given her a vacuum cleaner. She did not like the gift. I'm like, well, you said something about electric bikes. Like, yeah, I said mostly for you. Now, of course, I really have enjoyed the electric bike since we bought it. <laughs> I've really enjoyed the electric bike. But every time I ride the electric bike, I'm reminded of how disappointed my wife was. What made it worse is my kids, unbeknownst to me, had gone out and bought my wife. They all pulled their money together. My oldest daughter organized this. They bought my wife a beautiful necklace, piece of jewelry. And that same day when she was so disappointed with my vacuum cleaner electric bike, she loved this piece of jewelry and wears it every day. It's a constant reminder of how I failed my wife on Mother's Day. I see it every day around her neck. And she has said to me, may this be a reminder of what you need to get me the next Mother's Day. See, everybody, and I've been working to overcome this hurt of this Mother's Day gift, how disappointed she was. But every family will experience hurts and trials, and certainly our family has, and my marriage has. But God is at work. Every person will have trials, but God is at work. James 1, 2 through 4 says this, Count it all joy. This is one of the paradoxes of Christianity. Count it all joy, my brothers. Not if you meet trials. It's when they will come. When you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith. Wait a minute. Was Joseph being tested by the evil actions of his brothers? Exactly. Did God cause the evil actions of his brothers? No, not at all. Did God know that the brothers would do what they did? Absolutely. Was God testing Joseph? He was. Now, believe me, the test is not an opportunity for God to find out where we're at. 
It's for us to find out where we are at in our heart. God already knows exactly where you're at spiritually. He knows exactly what the condition of your heart is right now. But the testing of our faith is for us to find out what we truly value. Can we say like the psalmist in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not what? Want. Is the Lord enough for you today? No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what this life may bring, I don't know what's going to happen to me, but I'm already preparing myself. If something negative happened to me, like an illness that would lead to my death, maybe a cancer in my body, I'm already saying, God, I I want to follow you no matter what the situation is, no matter how my life ends, no matter what happens in my life. You are more than enough, more than any illness I could ever experience, more than any cancer that would seek to kill me. God, you are more than enough. I shall not want. I will trust you. Now, I know it's going to be a battle when that day comes, if it does come. A life-threatening illness is always a battle. But we already want to start preparing our minds for what may lay ahead. And the Bible goes on and says this, the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete. See, that's the goal. Yeah, have you been watching a, a, a soccer this week at all, World Cup soccer? Vitaly, I'm so sorry about what happened to Russia. Losing to Croatia. It's because of all the collusion that happened in the... Uh, no, I'm kidding. So, uh, the, the, you know, the goal is this. You always want to kick the ball to the goal, right? That's the goal. See, the goal in our lives is to be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the goal. That's where God is taking us. We need to welcome the work that he does in our lives. And sometimes the hurts and trials come from people who are sinful, rebelling against God, but he's still working in our lives. Here's the next thing we need to understand. Our calling is to obey the Lord through the trials. What we are called to do is not understand the trials. Our calling is not to figure out before the trials are over what God is doing. Our calling is to obey the Lord, to walk step by step in a manner that obeys the clear teachings of God's word. We're not not to hold hatred. We're not to allow our lives to be filled up with bitterness when someone wrongs you. And this is what I try to remember in my life. When someone wrongs me, I say to myself, they're being blinded by the evil one. They are doing these evil deeds because Satan has deceived them and they're blinded. They are victims of the evil one. We're in a spiritual battle. That's why God calls us to pray for those who persecute us. We're to have a totally different response than the world. We're to be different than the world. And it's in these moments when we have trials and tribulations that the world most powerfully sees our testimony for Christ. If we're following God when everything's going our way and we're having a happy life and everything's fine, they'll say, of course they follow God. Everything's going great for them. What happens when things go badly? Joseph is a powerful example of someone who kept serving the Lord. Here's the next thing we need to understand. The outcome is to grow stronger in our walk and more dependent upon the Lord. See, we're to go stronger in our faith and we become stronger when we become more dependent. Here's another paradox of the Christian life. We grow stronger when we become more dependent on God. That's what Paul learned by his thorn in the flesh. He prayed three times that the thorn would be removed. But God said no, that Paul would rely on God more than on his own strength. 
See, every day it's a moment by moment, God, I want to rely on you. And I rely on you most powerfully by obeying you and doing life your way. See, when Joseph was in prison, he must have felt so small compared to the power of the Pharaoh. Man, Pharaoh looked like this in his eyes. Joseph was just a small slave in prison. Pharaoh, he was the most powerful man on the earth. But if you have the gift, as Joseph did, and I believe he had this gift, to start stepping back from your situation and begin to see the forest instead of just a tree, you'll start to realize that as powerful as Pharaoh is, there is one that is, as you move back, even more powerful than Pharaoh, and it's God. He is the rock that cannot be moved. He is the one working out his plan. And compared to God, Pharaoh is nothing. He's nothing. God is in control. And the story of Joseph is powerful. It has challenged me so many times in my life says this, so Joseph said to his brothers when he was reunited with his brothers, remember the story, standing in front of him, could have said the word, had them all killed, thrown in prison. Now there's an amazing series of circumstances that he does, I believe to test the heart of his brothers. As you know, he keeps Simeon and tells them, you're spying on us, you're, you're spies. They're like, no, no, we have a dad, we have 12 brothers, one is no more. He must have said, yeah, I know that story. One is no more. One is back home with my, our father. His name is Benjamin. Benjamin wasn't allowed to go on the trip because Jacob was so concerned about losing this other son that he loved. He said, well, I'm going to keep Simeon here. You go back and get that other brother to show that you are truly a family of 12 brothers. And they go back to their father and Jacob wouldn't let Benjamin go until finally they're starving. And the brothers say, we've got to take Benjamin free Simeon who's still down in Egypt. He takes the brothers down, and it's an amazing story, my friends. Read it in your quiet time of how Joseph had to excuse himself because he's weeping when he hears the story of how Jacob loved Benjamin because Joseph was going to keep Benjamin in Egypt. He had planted a cup and framed Benjamin for stealing the cup from him and was going to keep Benjamin in Egypt. But Jacob said, if you do that, I'm sorry, if Judah said, if you do that, our father will die. And Joseph began to weep, to weep in front of his brothers. And this is what happened. It says this, so Joseph came to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. Don't you love that? <laughs> Don't feel guilty. You sold me into slavery. You hated me. Don't feel guilty. Don't be angry with yourselves because you sold me here. This is the beautiful part. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Now, I admit, he has the blessing that many people don't have. Some people may not understand the full lesson that God was working out in their lives on, until you get to heaven. But Joseph was able to see how God was preserving lives through the pain and the hardship that he had in his life. He even said this at the end of Genesis. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Hey, brothers, you didn't send me here. God did it. See, Joseph had forgiven his brothers. And then in Genesis 50, he says it again when he sensed the fear of his brothers because Jacob, when his whole family was brought down to Egypt, 
Jacob brought his whole family down and God blessed them and they increased in numbers as they lived in Egypt. But one day, Jacob passed away and the brothers thought, oh, now Joseph is going to kill us. Now that the father is dead. So Joseph brought them near again and said to them, do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against it, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. He could see the job that God was doing in his life. Here's the second thing I want you to remember. Cultivate a heart of forgiveness even before the hurt comes. Forgiveness is this. It's acting with compassion. You may not feel it, but it's acting with compassion. And I believe the feelings will follow and love towards another person who has wronged you because of the love, mercy, and compassion that you've received from God. Act with compassion towards those that have wronged you. Act with mercy and love. See, this is the reality. Forgiveness is required for all believers. If we look at Colossians chapter 3, it says, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint, forgiving each other as the what? The Lord has forgiven you. You also, and here's the word, must forgive. If you're a true follower of Jesus Christ, you must forgive. Romans 12 says this, Beloved, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Never avenge yourself. Hebrews 12 says this, There should be no root of bitterness that springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See, the option is this, either forgive or allow the root of bitterness to grow deeper and stronger in your life. How many of you have ever pulled out a weed from the ground? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, when I was in Chicago, I had a ton of weeds. I have weeds here in, in, in California too. In fact, I was getting so tired of pulling out weeds, I bought this little drill bit, has a long pole, and at the end of it has these, these little hooks at the end that you take your drill. This is so nice. You just drill the weed, and it wraps the weed around it and pulls it out of the ground. It was, it was wonderful. I would be drilling my weeds out with this drill, going around my lawn. It was great. What was the problem with the drill bit? It left the root in the ground, right? That's the problem, amen? Because the root is still there, the weed will grow up. And it's amazing sometimes how we think on the outside, man, I've got it really together. But if we look into our heart, there is a root that's wrapped itself around our heart, a root of bitterness and revenge and anger and hatred. And that will only hurt your relationship with God and with others. But here's some important reminders. Don't let pride keeping you from admitting your error. You know, in marriages sometimes, we have a problem with pride. We know we've done something wrong, but we don't want to admit it to our spouse or even to our friends when we wrong them. Don't let pride keep you from admitting your error or take responsibility for any part of the offense that's occurred. Pride gets in the way of that. Here's another reminder. Don't take advantage of someone who's forgiving you. If you are living with a person who's a very forgiving person, don't take advantage of that. The Bible warns us of not doing that with God. Are we to live in sin that grace may abound? God is so forgiving, I'll just keep sinning. The Bible says may it never be. Never take advantage of a forgiving person. 
Here's the challenge. When you're forgiven, learn from your mistake and change. That's what a follower of God does. I get it, God. You're working in my life. You're changing me. Thank God for this person who's forgiven me and not allowed a root of bitterness to take control of their life. Here's the next thing. Forgiveness is required regardless of their attitude. People said to me, well, I'm only going to forgive if they ask for it. Do you realize how much hatred and bitterness you'll carry around in your life towards people who will never ask you to be forgiven? Your life will be filled up with hatred and bitterness. When Jesus was on the cross, those that nailed him to the cross, they didn't ask for forgiveness. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He was already wanting forgiveness for them. Matthew 6.15 says this, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What God is saying there is this, if you don't forgive, that's a trespass against me. You're constantly in a state of sin and rebellion. How can God forgive you in this relational aspect that you have with the Father? How can God forgive you when you're living in sin by holding on to hatred and bitterness? You must forgive. Here's another thing we need to know. Forgiveness comes most easily easily when we recognize our own sin. Here's a wonderful gift for all of us to develop. Do you recognize your own sin? Do you recognize that the thing that bugs you about others, the wrongs that someone has committed against you, are wrongs that you yourself have done or very similar to others? When we recognize our own sin and our own shortcomings, it's so much easier to forgive others. So much easier to forgive others. Romans 2.1 says this, Therefore you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself because you, the judge, practice the very same things. What angers you about others is something you do yourself. And if you're honest with yourself, you know it. What bugs you about others is what you've done yourself. And you know it. When you realize that and you own it, it becomes so much easier to forgive. I'm going to have to close with this. We might continue this a little bit next week. But love is always the motivation to forgive, right? Speaking the truth in love or to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Here's the next thing I want us to remember. Humility, not pride, is always the attitude. Don't let pride get in the way of your marriages. Don't get pro- allow pride to get in the way of other relationships. My wife and I, when we have problems and, and there's a little disagreement, a little tension in our marriage, we've been married now 20, almost 28 years. When there's a little disagreement, man, there's a little tension, we, there's a little pulling away from one another. Generally what will happen is this. One of us will be the first to come back and say, you know what, I, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have let this happen. There's tension. Let's, let's talk about it. If my wife is the one doing that first, what's my thought? I can't believe she beat me to it. I feel so guilty that she was the one that obeyed the Lord and came back and started this process of restoration and forgiveness. She beat me to it. And it's a reminder of, no, I want to beat her next time. I want to be the first to go back and say, hey, I'm I'm sorry. This, This has gone too far. Let's talk about it. Let's get it right. Forgiveness, my friends, is so essential. 
I'm going to stop here this week as our time is out. We're going to continue this study next week. But it's so essential to being a family, a marriage, a person that loves God and follows him, that your life would be filled up with amazing forgiveness for others. Amen, church? Let's pray together. Lord, I want to thank you for the opportunity we have to forgive. Lord, I thank you for this amazing example of Joseph. And Lord, I pray that we would be like you. You have forgiven us of everything that we have ever done. May that forgiveness overflow in our lives. May we humble ourselves and realize how much we need to be forgiving like you are. Lord, we love you today. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together and sing this song. So I'll stand